concept of learning ecosystems was not yet quote unquote popular. I left the education world and moved to the, the city's world. City leaders started to look at the question of education slash learning. Recently, it's been written about in some way or another for about a decade, I think, and there's lots of different sort of interpretations or mm. understandings. And the field, I think, is kind of growing and consolidating and emerging, particularly as more studies are now happening in the global south. Welcome back to Wise On Air, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds on the future of education. My name is Basim and I'm the producer of the show. As the world charges forward into the 21st century, the formal education sector seems to have been held back. How can we reinvent ourselves and our relationship to knowledge when the base of learning is rooted in arguably antiquated methods? Education is no longer just about delivering expertise and content. In an era where information is abundant and at our fingertips, it should be about learning how to learn, how to question, and how to interpret. While reading, writing, and arithmetic remain essential, they simply aren't enough to prepare learners for this new age. The past two years have taught us the value of connections and community. The sense of belonging to a community is crucial for healthy development. And education institutions need to bridge that gap between young people's learning and their social lives, communities, interests, and careers. That's where learning ecosystems comes in as the potential solution, a concept that has gained increasing interest in recent years. Academics and researchers have been mapping these ecosystems, seeking to understand trends and best practices in order to better define the concept. And numerous foundational papers and reports have been published on this topic in recent years. Learning ecosystems encompass a variety of definitions, all revolving around a similar theme, a system or group of people coming together with their resources to support the evolution of learning within their community. These stakeholders can range from all kinds of backgrounds and expertise. At first, when I heard the idea of bringing so many stakeholders together to solve pressing education problems at scale, it almost seemed utopian to me. How are you supposed to get all these people together in one room? However, it already seems to be happening in some parts of the world. The potential of this concept is immense, but how can we expand it globally? And how can stakeholders from various backgrounds get involved in the first place? To explore these questions, I had the opportunity to speak with Rosie Clayton and Sebastian Turbo. Rosie is an education specialist and co-founder of The Weaving Lab, an organization which is developing global expertise in learning ecosystems. She has also served as a long-running research fellow at WISE, expanding our portfolio of research in the field. Sebastian, now working as the Director of Content and External Affairs at our sister initiative, Earthna, has also had a long history with WISE and recently spearheaded our publication on designing learning ecosystems, a publication served as a playbook for anyone interested in advancing the concept and creating their own ecosystem. Check out the links in the description to access the book for free and for more details on the initiatives of our guest speakers. We've wanted to spotlight this concept on Wise On Air for a while now. And with Rosie and Sebastian both being in town and amidst upcoming Wise projects on learning ecosystems, we couldn't miss this opportunity. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the conversation and explore the exciting potential of this innovative learning model. for joining me, Rosie and Sebastian. Maybe we can just start off with a quick introduction from both of you. Yeah, no problem. So I'm a research fellow with WISE, working on learning ecosystems. Um, also working on projects around learning ecosystems elsewhere in the world and the global south um, with various kind of global partners. I sort of set up and established learning ecosystems in the UK through sort of cities of learning. So yeah, I guess 
leading kind of thought leadership around learning ecosystems, learning cities, and also getting involved in the practical setting up and design of them on the ground. And coincidentally, today we're going to be discussing learning ecosystems, so we've got the perfect person exactly. on board. And in, in addition, Sebastian, you are no stranger to learning ecosystems yourself. Tell us a bit about your background and what you're doing now. Well, previously I was also a WISE fellow. I worked with the WISE team in launching the Learning Ecosystems Living Lab about uh, two years ago. Uh, since then, I have now moved on, focusing more on sustainability and sustainability and education at Ursna, uh, a new policy center of Qatar Foundation. Ursna, we are a policy center similar to WISE, focus, looking at sustainability, but more specifically, really looking at sustainability in hot and arid environments, mm. because we feel that there is a gap globally in looking at the specifics of what sustainability means for a country like Qatar or a city like Doha. And so we're trying to work with our uh, QF uh, ecosystems, the universities and the research centers here, but also regionally, in trying try to better understand, define uh, sustainability in these types of contexts. Now we can uh, dive a little deeper into that sustainability angle in terms of this conversation later. But Rosie, maybe you want to tell us a bit about what you do outside of WISE. I mean, I know you work with the Weaving Lab. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that as well. Yeah, so I'm kind of connected into a global network of people who would define themselves as weavers and who are thinking about these sort of ecosystemic ways of working, which really, I guess, are about how do we transform and change our education system so that they're fit for the future and fit for the next generation, current generation going through our schooling system today. Um, with another hat on, I'm leading a programme of work in the UK and globally around assessment reform. So one of the big levers, we think, to changing the educational experience that young people have is how they are assessed and particularly at the point at which they leave education and transition into whether it's higher education or work. So in a lot of countries, you know, kind of standardised high stakes assessments and um, exams sort of then teach I guess, directs the way the curriculum is taught in terms of, I guess, an often a narrowed experience um, and not much time for doing things outside of the classroom. So, yeah, we're trying to rethink how we assess um, as a way of transforming the educational experience as well. So both of you have plenty of experience working on future-related endeavours, changing the future, future of education or future of sustainability and whatnot. So it would be really interesting to get to know a bit about your backgrounds as personal human beings in terms of your relationship with the education system, how you studied growing up, what was your relation with learning, how do you perceive education? It would be great to know, I mean, from your own perspectives, what you went through and what brought you to, you know, pursue the, the fields that you're working in today. So maybe we can start with you, Rosie. It's a great question, actually, isn't it, when you think about it? So... I think I was very kind of lucky to develop a love of learning throughout my educational kind of experience. So I moved around a lot, went to quite a few different schools, but did a lot of stuff outside of school. So whether that was sports or extracurricular sort of types of things with family, with friends, my grandparents played a really big role in my upbringing. So they obviously you know, taking me places and getting me into doing different types of things. So mm. I guess I was yeah, lucky that I really enjoyed education in the main. I guess I did well within the traditional kind of paradigm, but then was able to be exposed to lots of different experiences. I think having experiences of the workplace quite young was important. So I had a Saturday job from the age of about 15. It's less common now for young people to have Saturday jobs, um, as it were. But, yeah, I was doing lots of kind of work um, as a teenager and then into my 20s. Um, I went to university, 
that was great. That exposed me to the rest of the world of policy and politics. And yeah, kind of got into education by chance, really, through yeah, education policy and yeah, kind of activism, I guess. And did you grow up, and you said you moved a lot, so was that mainly in the UK or abroad as well? Yeah, no, in the UK. Okay. So I, yeah. not really cities, but um, sort of towns and more rural areas. Yeah, which is still kind of a, a big change to, I mean, I have plenty of experience moving across the UK when I was still living there. Yeah. And I hated every single time I had to adjust to a new environment, to a new school. So it's it's quite interesting that, I mean, you were able to manage that. You had that sort of adaptability. You had that support from your grandparents. So it's interesting to get a sense from what you experienced. Yeah, I probably went to about five different schools, but that sort of brings, yeah, like you're right, you develop those skills and adaptability and resilience. Mm. You either do or that you find that experience very traumatic, probably. I don't know. Mm. But, yeah. I grew up in a very traditional, uh, formal kind of education system. And yes, I was bored. I was disengaged. Uh, it did not nurture a love for education or learning, learning with, with me. So I kind of, you know, studied along until until university. But you know, kind of in, in hindsight, and to look at your question, it, was there a fundamental moment as I was growing up, growing up that kind of drove me and led me to what I am today? And was this moment in school? Well, so the answer is no, that moment was not in school, uh, or it wasn't to school, it was a field trip, a field trip to Berlin in 1987. So the Berlin Wall is still there. You still have East Germany, West Germany, you still have the Cold War. And it was a fundamental moment for me because, you know, I was so, so impressed by seeing this wall and these people being, you know, separated and this kind of antagonism that I had to understand why and I had to try to solve it. And that really led me to my career into university, looking at, you know, political science and then the development and humanitarian field. That kind of eureka moment that has been driving me was a informal, out-of-school learning moment uh, that led me to, to, to where I am today. Yeah, what about you, Basim? Yeah, <laughs> No, in my case, I actually relate to a lot of what you said. I mean, in the sense that when I took a trip to Japan during my high school days, I had no idea what I wanted to do in the future. Uh, and when I went to Japan and just saw how people lived, how, peop uh, how different uh, city life is versus rural life, and what caused so many people to move from rural country Japan to the city... Uh, and that trip of just seeing everyone living their lives in such a different way to what I was used to growing up really sort of sparked my curiosity for the first time that school didn't do in a, in a way for me, which is a shame, really. Uh, and yeah, I, from that moment, I knew I needed to live in Japan. I wanted to study there, but I still didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. Ended up picking international relations which was just on a whim, Tokyo University, but it managed to work out <laughs> splendidly for me in the case because I had a professor that, you know, took interest in me, was actually interested to get to know me as a human being. And that sort of sparked, uh, you know, inspiration in me to sort of do better, to impress that individual, to sort of connect with that person on an intellectual level at least. So I think... You know, growing up, I, I always felt that you know, that was what I was missing. It's just that human connection and education to make me understand, you know, why am I learning versus is this a stepping stone to a career in the future? But now maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit into things that will definitely come up in the conversation. Maybe we can uh, fast forward to the topic of learning ecosystems in this case, because 
based on your experiences, as, as much as you uh, thrived and excelled in the traditional system, I think you realize that something can be done better. There's room for improvement, uh, especially in your case, Sebastian. So what brought you to this idea of learning ecosystems? Tell me a bit, a bit about the history uh, of this concept. Like, it, it, was there a clear starting point? Uh, were you personally involved in that starting point? Yeah. And how do you define the concept of learning ecosystem? That's also a really good question because it's been written, something has been written about in some way or another for about a decade, I think. And there's lots of different sort of interpretations or mm. understandings. And the field, I think, is kind of growing and consolidating and emerging, um, particularly as more studies are now happening in the global south as to what ecosystems are sort of looking like as they're kind of getting grown in different places. Um, for me, I kind of got into this when I was in the US in 2016. I did a research fellowship looking at what I then was thinking around kind of innovation ecosystems. So what's the process around which school transformation is, is taking place? You know, how do you build new kind of learning models? And so what do, do, what do innovative new schools look like? How are they interacting with their community? How are they building really strong partnerships? How are they leveraging kind of mentors and um, other types of adults, I guess, to help young people kind of figure out what their journey might be, not dissimilar to what you both have said. Um, and yeah, and got to just experience numerous different environments within which learning ecosystems were being kind of constructed in seven different cities and got to really understand the process that sat around that sort of building of an, an intentional ecosystem of support for changing the, the, the paradigm of education, I guess. Mm. So there was something called innovation ecosystems that you were working in? Yeah, which, it's, yeah. it's quite common in the business world, I think the idea mm. of an innovation ecosystem, mm. and I was trying to sort of translate that concept into education, and then mm. we, we, the learning ecosystems, you know, kind of fitted that quite nicely. Mm. So that's the term that's more commonly used now. Mm. So how long have you been working on this concept? Mm, I guess since about 2016 properly, but I've been aware mm. of it for longer through other sort of reports that have been published. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on that question? No, I mean, in my case, I came to learning ecosystems from like a different angle, which which I think is interesting because it's it shows mm -hmm. the complementarity of it. Is although I had been working on kind of innovation and education until 2016, more or less, the concept of learning ecosystems was not yet quote unquote popular. Then I, I left the education world and moved to the the cities world, the looking at the future of cities, mm -hmm. and in that mm -hmm. context. Um, you know, more and more people looking at, um, you know, look, look, the cities looking at the question of talent, talent retention, realizing that the formal national education sector wasn't necessarily delivering on the skills that local businesses needed. And so cities, city leaders started to look at the question of education slash learning and asking themselves, how could we support and complement the formal education sector in our city, in our neighborhoods, and looking at Okay, how can we complement education with outside informal, non-formal learning op opportunities? Um, and that's where I kind of discovered this, this emerging concept of learning ecosystems and how it really had this, this bridge between the education and the kind of city space. Because I don't know if we'll, we'll get to that, but a lot of the, the thinking and the writing around learning ecosystems is that it's very much place-based. What makes learning ecosystems as a model stand out to you? versus some of the other solutions in that regard when it comes to advancing, you know, the issues that we face in our education systems. What sort of makes you a believer in this model versus the ones, the alternative models that are out there? 
Mm, that's a good question. I think it's it's partly linked to the, what you said about kind of cities and at different stakeholders setting a vision and then working out how they work together to achieve that vision. For me, in kind of really deep collaborative ways that are sort of lasting and enduring. But the, the focus on place, I think, mm. yeah, gives it a totally different dimension. Mm. A so sense maybe of sustainability. You, but yeah. I, I was going to say, I mean... We, we could open Pandora's box of, refor- you know, uh, education reform. Yeah. But I think why there's growing interest in learning ecosystems is whatever's happening there in the formal education sector and reforms or no reforms, um, learning ecosystems allows for a conversation to happen around learning, uh, once again, to, to support, in some cases maybe replace, um, formal education systems by bringing this kind of whole community approach. It's we can all kind of gather, convene together, and provide learning opportunities um, in parallel to the formal education sector. Mm-hmm. I think for me that's the, the, the main key, is that mm-hmm. we can all participate in the learning experience. Yeah. And people often use the word education is everyone's business. Yes. Um, and so I think, yeah, as well as the sort of the complementary offer to the formal system, what's quite interesting is when you start to see some of the innovations in the informal space then infiltrating, as it were, mm. or influencing, might be a better word, the kind of education that's happening in the classroom as well. Yeah. yeah. So walk me and the listeners through this concept. So because right now, I think to many listeners, they might, you know, who are not aware of this concept uh, of a learning ecosystem, they might think, oh, yeah, it sounds almost utopian. How do you get all these people across an ecosystem to partake and, and get involved in, in conversations that lead to decision making and change in, a, in our education system? So maybe you can walk me through the user experience or, or maybe give me an example of one that exists around the world of how it functions exactly and who who are the stakeholders who get involved? Yeah, that's... I think probably the first thing to say is there's no one model of a learning ecosystem, is that really um, all the ones that I've looked at and been sort of highlighted in different reports all have different forms, I guess, and different types of actors sort of playing a role. I mean, probably one of the best well-known is the Remake Learning um, ecosystem in Pittsburgh in the US, but they've now have their models of operating in many different geographies around the world where you've got you know lots of um, out of school learning providers in stem in creativity in the arts you know offering all sorts of types of learning for a young person and working with formal educators to think about how the curriculum is designed in school um, bringing kind of stem learning and um, i guess i guess broader skills and dispositions into the curriculum as well so i suppose from a, y- a young person's perspective it's on a weekly basis having a wide variety of experiences, both within the four walls of the classroom or the school, but also outside in the community, um, in the workplace, you know, like I said, through museums and kind of projects and things like that. Um, if, if, if we stick to the Remake Learning example, which I think also is a very, a very good one, so there is learners learning outside of school to complement what they're learning in school. And so there's this community aspect of museums participating, civil society, but it's also very much supported and endorsed and advocated by the city. Yeah. So the, the policymakers, but also the the local businesses also are very much involved in offering learning opportunities, but also saying, here are the skills we need. Who has those? I mean, who has the learning opportunities to mirror the skills we need? And could we get learners to participate in these learning activities 
so they develop the skills that these businesses need. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what makes it also very interesting. And I would add, last, last, maybe last but not least, lots of people have been asking us, okay, how do we launch a learning ecosystem, mm-hmm. which led to the creation of the Wise Learning Ecosystem Living Lab. And I think one of the secrets that we make learning is the very simple notion of a learning festival. How they yeah. started their learning ecosystem was like first having a week-long city-based learning festival, you know, kind of outdoors, getting, once again, NGOs, museums, grocery stores, whoever, to participate in offering free learning activities across the city to create that momentum, to create that buy-in, to get Mm. parents to come and see their kids learning in a different way that is not necessarily, you know, um, school-based. I think getting business leaders to see, oh, wait, okay, this STEM workshop is exactly, is is, um, looking at exactly the skills and so creating that momentum, creating that understanding and that buy-in that there are other forms of learning than only in a classroom, in rows, you know, look, looking at a blackboard. Yeah. And to kind of, like, I guess, manage learning ecosystems. I mean, that's something we're going to be looking at in a workshop mm-hmm. later today. But it you know, requires a certain form, I guess, of orchestration or governance. So with the Remake Learning in the US example, you've got a foundation that's been embedded in place for about 15 years and has taken a role in um, managing all of these opportunities, promoting them, sharing them, on, having ongoing kind of communications and convenings. They run working groups around the particular um, skill shortages that the region has. So it, you know, it takes very kind of careful oversight, I would say, to make a learning ecosystem work. But that also is something we see everywhere in the world, that the leadership piece is really important. Mm-hmm. Well, the remake learning example is really interesting. I mean, we're familiar with them, of course. They they were one of the recipients of the Wise Awards last year. I got to meet uh, the team, and I was uh, astounded by you know just them setting up simple sessions with the rest of the awards winners and uh, sort of making them really interactive. And I saw their vision in action. And it was really interesting that you mentioned remake learning days as well, their festival because. I guess, I guess that's where the inspiration came from for our own Doha Learning Days, which I no, didn't really think of. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, to, <laughs> to Wise's credits, I think he hadn't heard of the Remake Learning Days yeah. when, when you guys launched Doha Learning Days. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. interesting. So, to your credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I think is also interesting and something we haven't touched on yet is what's something that's not in the Remake Learning model but which you'll see in a lot of other learning ecosystems, mm. is the whole question of a digital platform to provide a learning experience, a learning journey, linking to the whole question of assessing the learning yeah. in, <laughs> under learning ecosystems and the whole question of credentializing that learning. Mm. What I mean by this is you, Basim, you participate in the hackathon. It's something related to STEM skills. Mm. Could we create a learning ecosystems where the formal education sector and policymakers have agreed that what you're learning in that hackathon, what you have learned, can be recognized, assessed, and give you credits uh, in your formal learning education journey, if you see what I mean? I mean, that would yeah. be amazing if, if we could figure out... There's, there's debate around that. Some people, I think if Greg Baer from Remake Learning was here, he, he'd be telling us that he doesn't. they don't want to go that, down that route because it kind of... It kind of it's, 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 it's counterintuitive to this idea of organic learning without any pressure, you know, putting the, the learner in control of their learning without, you know, mm. going back to assessing and credentializing. So I think it's, I think it's an open question. I mean, I don't know what yeah, you think, Yeah, and it depends how you do it. So, 
actually in a conversation with Greg recently, we were talking about how the technology around digital credentialing has changed so much in the last decade. And actually, when I was at the RSA leading cities of learning, we built a platform specifically for that purpose to issue digital open badges that recognize different forms of learning. So um, this one, this wasn't about you're at level one, two, three, four. It was like, you know, I'm engaging in learning. I'm participating. Mm. I'm demonstrating my learning to others or I'm leading my learning. So it was more mm. active. Um, but we found that, you know, really, you know, yeah, depending on how you kind of construct the credentials and what standards you're, use, you're using, you know, it can help young people understand the skills they've gained through participating in learning and the knowledge that they've gained and then help business and industry to then think about recruitment in, and, and see the kind of talent pool, I guess, that, mm. of people that they might not identify through the formal education system because the skills they've built through these other types of activities aren't necessarily the ones that they build through formal education. So, yeah, it depends on the technology, depends on how it's deployed, yeah. I think. But there's a lot of changes in that space in the last even three or four years. Wow, yeah, no, I, and probably this year is going to entail many different changes in that field as well. There's so many different types of learning ecosystems that exist around the world, which is why uh, you deemed it, as well as why it's deemed it necessary to sort of put a clear sort of playbook on what what we define as a learning ecosystem. So what would that definition be based on the work you did in the playbook? And how many people did it take <laughs> and how many conversations did it take to sort of approve on, on that <laughs> definition? On the playbook, the question was less, what is a learning ecosystem, mm-hmm. which I think others have more or less pretty well defined. It was more the, the how-to. Mm-hmm. We had more and more people turn okay. to us saying, yeah. okay, I believe in this, it looks great, but how do I launch a learning ecosystem in my community? Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I mean, I still really like the definition from the WISE report from maybe it was yeah. in 2019, yeah. um, Valerie Hannon and others, which was, something like, you know, a diversity of providers coming together to provide new pathways to thriving for young people. So mm. recognise that diversity of people and places mm. that need to be involved and that we're intentionally constructing new pathways mm. to thriving, whatever that might look like. Now, after everything you mentioned, I think... It, I can see the value of such a system. Uh, I think it's very true that the traditional system in its current form, in many circumstances, doesn't necessarily uh, meet the demand with the supply that you know the business world needs or the corporate world or whatnot, or what the world needs in general. Uh, I like the, the phrase, I think once you, you said it when we were recording a video on Sebastian, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think uh, learning ecosystem sort of reminds me of that. Uh, many people back in the day, you know, their learning was uh, just as much informal as it was formal, which in today's case isn't necessarily, uh, you know, that ratio is a bit skewed. So I really like that concept of a learning ecosystem. I do see the value of uh, work. So where do we stand now in terms of, uh, you know, the state of this model? And, you know, you, you, you're working on a new report in the case of uh, Qatar right now. Maybe you can tell us a bit about what that report entails and where we stand in terms of the pro- progress of this uh, kind of model in Qatar and maybe a bit about, you know, what's happening across the globe as well. Yeah, worldwide. I think it's really exciting how more and more people are sort of identifying with the idea of a learning ecosystem there. 
as they come across the concept, they're reflecting on what they're doing already and starting to see that actually this is quite representative of the trying of the ways they're working and the sorts of change they're trying to bring about. So, yeah, the work with Wise at the moment is looking at how to, yep, yeah, kind of build the kind of learning ecosystem around Education City and how to leverage all the different platforms that exist already, both online and offline. So. Um, we've been kind of looking at, you know, what already exists, what kind of collaborations already exist and what sort of um, orchestration might be needed to make that better and stronger. Um, today, actually, we're shifting into the policy world, which is quite exciting. So looking at what at a policy level can be done to help enable, you know, schools, out of school providers, businesses and others to collaborate more effectively. So that's quite that's quite a nice sort of kind of shift to think because a lot of the times the discourse around learning ecosystem is at kind of provider level you know individual businesses or schools but actually what can government and policymakers do you know if they think right you know this is something that's really valuable in our place mm-hmm. which the um, Delhi government has absolutely taken on board with their education reforms over the last four years they've intentionally built a, a learning ecosystem of partners to help division on a new to deliver on a new strategic vision for for the city so that's been quite exciting to see Mm. um i would say the kind of global north has been quite well mapped in terms of learning ecosystem models and partners and players um the global south is now where we're at um in terms of the work i've been doing recently uh, with global education leaders partnership dream a dream and learning planet institute and i think that field is going to continue to grow and there's a real opportunity then to connect the learnings and the ecosystems in the global north and the global south, I think. Is there sort of a directory, like a world directory on existing <laughs> learning ecosystems? And how do, how do people know if there's a learning ecosystem that is functioning near them? Or how do they get involved in... in I mean, that's a great question. I think this one's yeah. one for Wise to pick up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't really exist. Yeah. It needs someone to look into that. And maybe the Wise Learning Ecosystem Living Lab could play that role in being kind of directory um, of learning ecosystem sure. worldwide. The trick here is that a lot of people, as kind of what he was hinting to, operate as a learning ecosystem, but only, but only even re- refer to themselves as a learning mm. ecosystems, especially mm. in the global south. There's a lot of you know, groundwork to be done in mm. trying to, to, to map that out. To what extent do learning ecosystems have the capacity to catalyze solving global issues? such as climate ch- climate change, poverty, and instilling sustainability practices, for example? In principle, uh, learning, learning ecosystems do not need to be focused on the topic. That being said, if you look around the world, a lot of them are focusing on kind of the environment, sustainability, and linking into STEM. I think for me this is kind of three reasons. One, very practical, back to the Remake Learning Festival example, is that STEM skills allow themselves very practical kind of workshops and activities as compared to maybe, you know, philosophy or sociology, uh, one. Two, there is a push from the business sector in lots of places around green skills and so are encouraging uh, communities to, to develop learning ecosystems around these kind of green slash STEM skills. In, in a similar tone, city leaders also acknowledging that they have a role to play in addressing the global climate crisis, want to ensure that their citizens are equipped to, to answer these challenges and so are encouraging these learning ecosystems to focus on this question of sustainability. Because as we speak, sustainability is kind of kind of a side thing in the formal education sector. It's like a side course, it's a, but it's not integrated, really mainstream, streamlined within the proper curriculum. 
That will happen someday, I hope, and I wish, uh, and I'm confident it will. But as we speak, learning ecosystems are a great way for places to kind of complement that and nurture these skills uh, through learning ecosystems. Mm. This is slightly irrelevant to learning ecosystems, but I was just wondering on your take on, is there a correct way to be teaching about sustainability practices? Because there's many different uh, ways to teach about it. Many ways uh, focus on the individual level versus, you know, the societal level. So I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Do, do you have two hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I can afford two hours, but you uh, probably know. <laughs> Uh, it, honestly, I'd have trouble answering that on the fly. Uh, could, could, could we skip that one? We, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but let's, let's do a WISE on air we, focusing we on sustainability yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, around WISE. And I, mean, I know I need to talk to the team. We will be launching a report on mainstreaming sustainability education here in Qatar at WISE. Mm-hmm. So let's do something like that. That's cool. Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to, I sort of touched upon it, but I think just to make clarify a bit more, is you know, let's say you do, you are aware about a learning ecosystem near you, what's the best way to get involved? Like you just reach out to the organizers of the learning ecosystem and, and just say you want to get involved. Let's say you're a museum owner, a business owner, whatnot. How, how does the process usually work or is it very informal? Probably events, aren't they? That's when people often well, most find out. Festivals are interesting. What, what, what we saw from the playbook is, one, Everyone said it was messy. There is no, you know, there's no step one, step two, kind of step three linear process to that. But that being said, if I had to answer your question in a minute, I'd say find a, your core group of four or five people, ideally, ideally on paper, a teacher, a school principal, a city leader, someone maybe from like a museum or cultural institutions, someone from like a civil society, you know, people like organizing hackathons or workshops. I guess I'd start with that. Yeah. That, that. That would be my, my five kind of key people who can then kind of be the ambassadors in their own sectors uh, of the mm-hmm. learning ecosystems that we're, we're trying to, to launch in our, in our neighborhood, in our city. And that is a wrap. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wise on Air on the topic of learning ecosystems. This is a subject that we have been researching at Wise. It's part of one of our essential core tracks in the organization. We've been researching this topic for quite a few years now, working with all kinds of stakeholders in the field from across the globe, trying to get a better sense of the potential and capacity of this model. So we're really excited and glad that we were able to cover this topic at last on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out a lot. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes we'll cover on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us anytime on our social media platforms through the links in the description. Once again, a warm thank you to Rosie Clayton and Sebastian Turbo for joining us on this discussion. And don't forget to subscribe to Wise On Air on wherever you get your podcasts to be notified of our upcoming episodes. We'll be back very soon with another episode coming in just a couple of weeks. Until then, keep on learning and thank you for listening to Wise On Air.